as we dive in today, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news to deliver in our message. So um, who wants uh, good news? Who wants bad news? Bad news. Bad news. Okay, so let's take a survey. Who wants bad news first? Okay, hold your hand up. Now, who wants good news first? Okay, so you notice that uh, fewer people want good news first and a lot of people want bad news first. So I know there's a strategy behind that, but regardless of what kind of news you want delivered when, I'm gonna deliver some good news and then I'm gonna deliver some bad news and then I'm gonna deliver some great news, okay? So we're gonna have like a bad news sandwich. So it's going to be like the weirdest sandwich you've ever eaten before, but the good news and the great news is going to do away with the taste of the bad news if you'll really hold on to the good news and the bad news. So who's ready for the weirdest sandwich ever? All right, great. Glad you're here and ready for this. So if you're new with us, we're currently in a series called Worldview. And even though we don't use that word very often, uh, we all have a worldview. We all have a perspective of the world. We have a viewpoint of what we think is right and wrong and how we think people should behave and how things should unfold and what should happen at work or what should happen in our, our families. We have an idea, we have a viewpoint, we have an opinion about all of those things. We have a viewpoint about almost everything that happens in our world, whether we recognize it or not. And a problem is many of us can't articulate our worldview. If you were to ask somebody at work tomorrow, maybe even at lunch today, hey, what's your worldview? Um, probably the response you would get is what? Like, what do you mean? Worldview about what? So many times we can't articulate our worldview and many of us don't understand how important our worldview is. Our worldview is one of the most important things in our lives, and if you're a Christ follower, God says our worldview is the most important thing for all of us. So listen to what scripture says about that. In Philippians 2, 5, uh, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Some translations say mindset. You must have the same mindset that Christ Jesus had. And 1 John 2, 6 says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So God's expectations for those of us who claim to be Christ followers is that we think like Jesus and behave like Jesus. We think like Jesus and we treat people like Jesus. We see the world the way Jesus does. We interact with the world the way that Jesus does. So as we walk through today, I encourage you to really ask yourself, if you're a Christ follower, do I do those things? Do I see the world the way that Jesus does? Do I behave the way that Jesus would? Because that's God's expectation for those of us who are Christ followers. Now, another problem with this is that most Christians don't have a Christ-centered worldview. And we learned this a few weeks ago when we started our series. We looked at a, a survey that George Barna did. He turned this out last year and he said this. He said, 51% of American adults claim to have a Christ-centered worldview. So a majority of American adults say they see the world the way that Jesus sees the world. But he said only 6% of us actually do that. That is a shocking statistic. But here's a more shocking statistic. 
that Barna also found, and he reported this this year. He said only 37% of American pastors have a Christ-centered worldview. Does anybody think that's a problem? Anybody besides me? Yeah, like that's a big problem. So if you're like looking at our world and watching all the chaos that's happening and wondering like, how did we end up going in that direction? Well, possibly it could be because only 6% of Americans have a Christ-centered worldview and a majority of pastors don't have a Christ-centered worldview. Like those things could really be factors in what's happening in our world around us. So Barna says that a majority of Americans including pastors, have what he calls a syncretic worldview. Now, syncretism basically means a mixture of inconsistent beliefs. It's when we take a few views from this idea, a few views from this worldview, and we we take a few more from this worldview, and we put them all together, and we think we have a consistent worldview. But that can't happen. You can't take a few worldviews or opinions from Christianity and take some from Marxism and take some from uh, uh, humanism. You can't take those from different worldviews, put them together and think that they're consistent. They aren't. It's not possible. Those core beliefs from those different worldviews stand in direct opposition to each other. So again, it's really important for us to have a consistent Worldview, And if you're a Christ follower, it's even more important that our worldview is the same as Christ. Over the past few weeks, we have been exploring what it means to have Christ's view of the world. Four weeks ago, we looked at the importance of a Christ-centered worldview. Three weeks ago, Tim did a great job of helping us see how Christ views truth. Tim taught us that truth exists that we actually can know truth. And more importantly, Tim said, you know, we can know him because truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then two weeks ago, Tim's dad, Pastor Rex, came down from Michigan and he taught us about Christ's view of God and that God exists in community. God exists in a relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then he helped us understand some aspects of God's nature, that God is love and God cares deeply about everything that we are going through in our lives. And last week, Hurricane Ian uh, came to church for a visit and we didn't want him here. And today we're gonna look at Christ's view of humanity. And as we do that, we're gonna explore a real event that was recorded for us in scripture in Luke chapter seven. And this event centers on a dinner party that a man named Simon had. And Simon was a religious leader in that day. He was a really important guy. He was known as a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were one of the two top religious groups in that day. They were known for their arrogance and their spiritual superiority. Like, wouldn't you want to interact with that group? Don't they sound like a bunch of fun? So Simon decided he was going to invite some of his religious friends over and invite Jesus over as well. Now, often 
Pharisees and the Sadducees, the other, other religious group that interacted with Jesus, they had bad motives whenever they interacted with him. They were trying to catch him, saying things they could use against him. They hated him, so they were trying to get him crucified. So most likely, Simon did not have good motives for interacting with Jesus. And we'll see evidence of that as the story unfolds. But during Simon's party, the most shocking thing ever happened. Somebody who wasn't invited crashed the party. And it was scandalous. I mean, like everybody was talking about it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Like this went viral. It was a really big deal. Luke chapter seven, verse 37 tells us who that woman was. It says, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now, immoral woman basically means town prostitute. Now, before we make any judgments about her, we don't know how she ended up in that lifestyle. We're not sure if she was forced into that lifestyle. We're not sure if her husband died and her, maybe her sons died and she had no one to care for her and she had no other family members who would take her in. We have no idea how she ended up in that lifestyle, but she end, ended up in that lifestyle and she crashed Simon's party. Can you believe that she would ever do that? When she crashed his party, verse 38 tells us that she knelt behind Jesus at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now the perfume that this woman brought would have been rare would have been very expensive. And there are many Bible scholars that believe it could have cost her a year's wages. So can you imagine saving up for a year? So imagine right now what your annual income is. Then imagine you're gonna go tomorrow and you're gonna purchase something of that value. And then the next day you're gonna go to a party where nobody wants you at that party. And you're gonna take this super expensive thing, you're gonna pour it on somebody's feet and kiss their feet. Anybody wanna do that this week? Anybody? Like, I don't wanna do that. And we're not really sure why this woman did that. Scripture isn't clear about that, but most likely she had a significant encounter with Jesus. Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, actually gives us another perspective of this story. In Matthew chapter 11, Matthew records that Jesus was in her town earlier that day. And he was preaching to a crowd of people. Most likely, the whole community came out to hear what Jesus had to say. And as Jesus was speaking to these people, he said this in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Can you imagine how this woman would feel if she was in that crowd and most likely she was listening to Jesus? Can you imagine how deeply these words would have resonated with her? Can you imagine the burden that she had carried in her life? Can you imagine how weary she felt? How tired she felt from how everybody else in her community treated her because she was one of those people. 
I'm certain this resonated with her. I have no biblical proof for this, but I think it was how Jesus treated her, how Jesus viewed her that caused this woman to run to him, crash this party and say, I don't care what you religious people think. I don't care. I don't care if you think I'm wasting a year's salary. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care about that. I'm so grateful for what Jesus has done for me. I think that's why she crashed the party and she poured this perfume out on Jesus' feet and kissed his feet. As she was weeping at his feet, verse 39 reveals Simon's view of this woman. Verse 39 says, when the Pharisee, again, that's Simon, who had invited him, meaning Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, so he's thinking, if this man were a prophet, you know, like, like he says, like he's the son of God, like he, if he were even a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. And I'm sure he would say, like, don't touch me because she's a sinner. So for Simon, this woman was one of those people. She wasn't religious enough. She wasn't part of the right political party. She didn't live in the right neighborhood. She didn't have the right kind of job. She didn't come from the right family. She didn't have the right education. She was a sinner, and not just any common sinner. She was a big sinner in his eyes. And you know, I'm sure she felt that way. Every time she interacted, with a religious leader. Uh, I'm sure she felt their arrogance. Uh, I'm sure she felt like a less than. Uh, I'm sure she felt like someone uh, who they would never want her around for any reason, felt kind of discarded and overlooked and looked down upon, especially by the religious leaders in that day. So I'm sure she felt that on a regular basis. And if you aren't a Christ follower, Maybe the reason you aren't a Christ follower yet is because of how a Christ follower has treated you. You know, there are some Christ followers out there that are kind of arrogant. Sometimes we come off that way. Sometimes we have this kind of spiritual superiority that we kind of push on other people, whether we verbalize it or not. And sometimes that can make people who aren't part of God's family feel like, well, I'm just not good enough. And if that's you, if you feel that way, please don't hold God responsible for how one of his followers is misbehaving. Please don't hold him responsible for that because God doesn't view you that way. God doesn't think that about you. So Simon viewed this woman as a less than, a not good enough, a sinner. But listen to how Jesus viewed this woman. Verse 40 says, then Jesus answered Simon's thoughts. I just love that. Like, wouldn't that be a great, uh, like, superpower to have? Like, you know, you're in your next staff meeting and you know that coworker that, that you know, hates your ideas and hates you. Like, wouldn't it be great to be able to read their thoughts, answer their thoughts? Well, Jesus does that here. He says, Simon, um, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. So Simon, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And get this, in verse 44, 
It says, then he, meaning Jesus, turned to the woman, but he said to Simon. So he's looking at this woman who's at his feet and he's speaking to Simon. So he says, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your, your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time that I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man? Like, who does he think he is? God or something? That he can go around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Amazing encounter. So I'm curious how you saw Jesus treating this woman in this moment. And I want to do some brainstorming out loud. So for those on campus, feel free to shout out loud. If you're watching online, feel free to type your comment in the chat section. But for those on campus, like what did you see? What did you observe? How did Jesus treat her? With love, With love respect, care. care, compassion, grace, grace mercy. Kindness, acceptance, wonderful. So he was compassionate to her. He, he accepted her. He didn't reject her. He valued her. He defended her. He elevated her status. He forgave her. And Jesus treated her like that because of how he viewed her. He saw her as important. She was valuable. Even though no one else in the room saw it, Jesus saw it, so he elevated her status. So it took a long time to get here, but here's our good news. And it's personal for you. You are extremely valuable and important to God. You are, you are. I'm not talking about the person next to you. Well, I am talking about them too, but like right now I'm talking about you, okay? So you are extremely valuable and important to God. You may have never heard that before. Your mind may push back on that and say, I'm not important. I'm not religious enough. That doesn't matter. You're still important to God and extremely valuable. You may say, but you don't know what I've done. I, I don't know what you've done. God does. And he still loves you. He still loves you. You're extremely valuable and important to God. To God, you are somebody important and special. So do me a favor. Tell the person sitting next to you, you are somebody important. Hey, I didn't say like have a big conversation. I just, it was like one sentence there, folks. All right, so I know that was weird. But you may have never heard that before. You may have never heard the way God views you is you are important, not just important, extremely important, extremely valuable. That's how God sees you. That's some great news. 
In Ephesians 2.10, the apostle Paul says this. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel like a masterpiece. <laughs> I feel like anything but a masterpiece. Most days, I don't feel like a masterpiece. But you and I are God's masterpiece. You know, when God thinks about you, he thinks they're perfect. I couldn't have made them any better if I made them myself. And he did. He, he made us himself. You're that important to God. Listen to what King David said about how God views us. In Psalms 139, verse 13, he said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. I, I love the imagery of that. Can you see God knitting someone together? Like taking care to do that? I watch my, my daughters knit sometimes. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're very focused on what they're doing because it matters in that moment. God's very focused on you, knitting you together in your mother's womb. And, and David says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. So just like David, God knit you together in your mother's womb, paid very close attention to how you were formed. Just like Pastor Rick Warren says, your parents may not have planned you, but God did. God did. God knew you would be born. He knew the strengths that he was going to put inside of you. He knew how that would impact the world positively for him. God knew a whole lot about you before you were ever born. God saw you, he knew you, he loved you before you were born and God sees you, he knows you and he loves you today. You're so precious to him, he can't stop thinking about you. And again, that is some really good news. Okay, I'm sorry that we have to leave this but we're now gonna enter the realm of bad news, okay? We won't stay here long, but it's bad news. In Luke chapter nine, verse 47, Jesus acknowledged what Simon thought about this immoral woman. Jesus said to Simon, I, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, Jesus called this woman a sinner. And I'm sure Simon thought in, in his head, like, you're right, Jesus. She's not just any sinner. She's a big sinner, really big sinner. Um, Romans 3.23 says this. He says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. Um, that word there, everyone, includes you and me. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. You know what you call someone who sins? A sinner. Yeah, you, you call people who sin sinners. So guess what that means? I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. Now I know that's not a popular concept today. We don't like to be called sinners. Like that makes us feel bad. 
And when our feelings get hurt, like we do some creative things around sin. We like redefine sin and we say, you know, as long as you're not hurting someone, you're living your own truth, you're living your best life, like go for it. You know, like, like you can do whatever you decide is morally right or wrong. Um, but that's not true. If we're not living up to God's standards in scripture, then we are hurting someone. We're hurting God, we're hurting ourselves, and we're hurting other people around us. Now, the Greek word for sin in the New Testament is the word hamartia. It looks like hamartia, but it's pronounced hamartia. And it means this. It means to miss the mark, to miss the mark. So if you think in the context of archery, so I think we all understand that you've got a target, you've got a bow and an arrow, you've got an archer, and they're going to shoot that arrow towards the target, and the goal is to hit the bullseye. So if you hit the bullseye, that's a perfect shot. And I've got some archery friends that are really great at bullseyes, and I know Robin Hood was really great at bullseyes, but none of us are great at hitting God's perfect standard target. We can't hit that bullseye. None of us can. None of us can live a perfect enough life to hit that target. It's just not possible. Simon the Pharisee couldn't do it. We can't do it. None of us can do it. Any miss of that target, whether it's this far off the bullseye or we miss the target altogether, that makes us sinners because we've sinned. So that's bad news. And the bad news gets worse. So hold on to this. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages or the penalty for sin, includes all of us, is death. So missing the mark this much, missing the mark this much, brings the death penalty for all of us. Now that's where many people push back and go, like, if that's what you're saying, that because I can't live a perfect life, and that's how God views me, is I'm like this hopeless sinner, and I'll never live up to his standards, and I deserve to die because of that, well, then who needs God? Like, why should we even try? Please don't think that, because you don't understand the good news or the great news. So hang in here, okay? Listen to what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 6. He said this. He said, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. That's the uh, same thing that Paul said in Romans 3.23. We have all left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord, meaning God the Father, laid on him, meaning God the Son, the sins of all of us. So God the Father took my sins, took your sins, took big sins, took small sins, took all of our sins, took every heinous sin that we could ever imagine, took every tiny small sin that we think, well, that's so small, like that's, you know, we'll just overlook that, that could never hurt anybody, took every sin and he placed it on the shoulders of Jesus Christ as if Jesus committed those sins. And Jesus paid the price for those sins so we wouldn't have to. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians this, 2 Corinthians 5.19, says, for God was in Christ. So in Christ, meaning through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, placing all of our sin on Christ's shoulders so that he would die for us so that we could have eternal life. So for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. God doesn't count our sins 
against us when we come to him and admit that we're sinners and we need a savior. And we believe Jesus is that savior. Listen to what else God does with our sin. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, if we say like, God, I blew it, I messed up, I sinned. If we come to God and say that, it says God forgives us our sins and cleanses us of all that unrighteousness. Psalms 103, 12 says, God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And I'm so glad that doesn't say north from the south. Why? Because north and south have endpoints. You can get to the north and then you keep going, you start going south again. So that means God would say, I'll forgive you this much. But here he says, you can keep going east as far as you want. You'll never get to an end point. Keep going, keep going, keep going. The rest of your life, you'll never get to a spot where God hasn't removed that sin from us. That's how far God removes sin from us. Hebrews 8, 12 says, God forgets our sin. Now, I have a hard time forgetting when people hurt me. But God doesn't. God forgets. He's a forgetful God. I love that about God. I love that he forgets some of those stupid things I did yesterday or this morning. <laughs> Micah 7, 18 says, God cast our sin into the sea. Colossians 2, 14 says, God canceled our sin dead by nailing it to the cross. God canceled your sin when he nailed it to the cross. And who was on that cross for you and me? Jesus was on the cross. That's some great news. And I would say that would be worth taking a picture of those Bible verses, writing them down. You know, the next time that you sin and you stumble and you start thinking, does God love me? What's God gonna do with me? I'm such a sinner. Like, remember what God does with our sin when we come to him. So God doesn't view us as hopeless sinners. When God looks at us, he sees people of extreme worth he sees people his son died for. He paid everything so that we could be his masterpiece. God wants you, if you're not a follower of his, to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and respond to him based upon how he views you. And if you are a Christ follower, God wants you to live the way that God designed you to live when you understand how God views you. So Jesus saw this no-name woman in Luke 9 as valuable, as priceless, as his masterpiece, as worth forgiving. But Simon saw her as worthless, as a sinner, as one of those people. So let me ask you this. How do you see people? How do you view people? How do you view people in your neighborhood? How do you view people at work? How do you view people at school? How do you view people maybe in your small group? You know, is there somebody that you look at them and you're like, oh, I hope I don't have to interact with them today because they just get on my last nerve. How do you view the people around you? How we view them is how we'll treat them. That's our bottom line thought for today. How we see people will determine how we treat them, how we see them, how we view them here, when we look at someone, if we think, oh no, you're one of those people, or no, you're, you're valuable. You're so valuable that, that God died for you. So I gotta see you the same way that God does. Again, how we see people will determine how we 
treat people. So if you're a Christ follower, do you see people around you the way that Christ does? And do you treat them the way that Christ would? Several years ago, I was engaging in one of my favorite pastimes, and I love to people watch. Anybody like to people watch? I could do that for hours. I could sit in an airport. I could sit in a mall for hours and, and just watch people. You know, we are very interesting creatures, aren't we? We do some really interesting things. So it's kind of fun to watch us in our behavior. Um, so one day I was doing that and I was just kind of doing what I normally do when I'm doing that and making mental observations about people. Uh, like, wow, that's a tall person. Wow, that's a short person. Wow, that's another bald person. Wow, that person must be like really handsome. And uh, sorry, really corny joke. Thank you for one person laughing over here. So I was making some observations about people and uh, then God interrupted my observations and he said, hey, Trent, do you wanna know what I see about people? I'm like, sure. So he said, I see lost people. I see found people. I see people who have a relationship with me who will spend eternity with me in a real place called heaven. I see people who have not made that decision yet. And if they don't, they'll spend eternity apart from me in a real place called hell and I can't stand the thought of that. That's why I sent Jesus to die for them. That's how I see people. So that was a very humbling moment for me because I had to acknowledge, God, I don't quite see people the way that you do. Uh, you know, I've got to change the way I see people. And so I asked God to start helping me with that. And there are moments I do a pretty good job. And then there are days I just don't. Somebody gets on my last nerve and I shift and start seeing them the way that I want to see them and I treat them the way that I want to treat them instead of the way God sees them, instead of the way God treats them. So again, how we see people will determine how we treat people. In just a minute, our worship team is going to close us in a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And in the Bible, the altar was the place for doing business with God. So today, we wanna create a, a space at the end of the service for us to do business with God. So for some of you, that might mean admitting that you don't see people the way that God does. Maybe you have to acknowledge that today and say, God, like, you know, that person at work or that person in my family or that person in my neighborhood, like, wow, like, I just need extra grace because they are so irritating. So maybe doing business with God means acknowledging you don't see them the way that you should. And you've got to ask God for help to see them in a very different way. If that's you, I encourage you to pick up our spiritual growth challenge before you leave today uh, in our lobby. If you're watching online, you can pick that up uh, in a, the link in, in the comment section. Uh, but there, I've, I've placed some other uh, examples for how God sees people and how we should start seeing people. So I, I hope you'll get that before you leave. For others, maybe doing business with God means coming back to him. Maybe you've done something you're so ashamed of and, and you just feel like, like you can't be in a relationship with God. You've got to you know, withdraw yourself and uh, go through a time of right behavior to earn your way back into a relationship with God. That's not how God operates. When, when we mess up, God says, come to me. Like, come to me now. Don't wait a month. Don't wait six months. Come to me now. Admit that so we can get back into a right relationship. So for some of you, maybe that's what you need. Doing business with God means admitting, confessing a sin 
It's something that maybe you've done or maybe just there's this drift that you've allowed to naturally happen. Maybe admit that. Come back to God today. For others of you, maybe it means coming to God for the first time in your life. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And maybe today you're sensing God is drawing you for that. And and if so, what I encourage you to do is during this song, eat your bad news sandwich. Talk to God about the good news. God, thank you that you see me as valuable. Apologize for the bad news. God, I'm sorry that I've sinned. I need you to forgive me of that sin. I admit that I'm a sinner. And then receive the great news that Jesus died so that you can have eternal life. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he responds, he welcomes you into his eternal family and he takes up residence in your life and you can be changed forever starting today. So I encourage you, if that's you and you need to have that conversation with God, do that today during our final song. Engage God with that business. So as we sing... I encourage you to do business with God in any way that that you need to. Turn your seat into an altar. If you're watching online, turn your computer, turn your phone, turn your TV into an altar where you can do business with God. And then for those on campus, we're gonna do something a little different at the end today. We haven't done this in a while. Periodically, we do this. um, But we're going to create a, a space up front here where the front of our stage can be a symbolic altar for you, where you could come up and pray up front during this final song. Then after the song, I'll be up front. I would love to talk with you or pray with you. We'll have Carolyn, our, our new director of our care and counseling ministry, will be up here as, far, as well as some other care members. And they'll have a prayer lanyard on. So when you come up and just look for somebody with a prayer lanyard, we'd love to talk with you about uh, where you are in your faith. We'd love to talk to you about how you see people, how you're treating people, uh, about starting a relationship with God or anything else that you want to talk about, you want to pray about. And I know for, for some of you, you think that is the weirdest thing ever. I'm not going to the front of a a school cafeteria to stand by the stage during the final song. I get it. I get it. So you can turn your seat into an altar. But for some people, we need to move. For some of us, we need to be like that immoral woman that crashed the party. She said, I don't care what people think about me. I don't care that it costs me a lot to bring this perfume in and pour it out in in front of all these people on Jesus' feet. Like, I don't care. I'm so grateful for what Jesus has done. I gotta get up and I gotta move to him. Again, you can do that in your seat or you can do that up front, whatever is appropriate to you, okay? So in summary, the good news is that God sees us as extremely valuable. Please hold on to that as you leave today. The bad news is that we're sinful and our sin separates us from God. But the great news is that God paid for our sins because of how he views us. So if you would, um, I'm gonna ask you to stand and we're gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. And again, you respond however you need to respond to do business with God today. So let's pray together. God, I am so incredibly grateful for the truth of scripture that tells us how you view us. 
so often we just have the wrong idea of how you view us. We, we feel like you view us the way that Simon the Pharisee viewed that immoral woman, like we are those people. We are the less thans. We are what's wrong with the world. But that's not how you view us. You view us as extremely valuable and important. That's the great news. And then, Lord, there is some bad news. The bad news is that we are sinful. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. And yet, the great news on the other side of that bad news is, Jesus, you hit God's perfect bullseye. You hit his standard because you lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. So Jesus, thank you for doing that for us. Lord, today as we sing this song, we wanna do business with you. Again, for, for some of us, that means admitting we don't see other people the way that you do and we don't treat them the way that, that you would. Lord, help us with that. Brothers, maybe we need to come back to you and, and confess some sin that's drawn us away. Or for others, maybe there's others that want to respond for the first time by putting their faith and trust in you, Jesus, as their personal Lord and Savior. And if that's you today, if you make that decision during this final song, what I encourage you to do is come up after the service and tell me you made that decision. I've got some resources I would love to give you that will help you in this new relationship that you have with God. So God, thank you for being a God who says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Some of us are weary. Some of us are tired from what we've gone through, what we're going through. We can come to you. We can be transformed by you. Thanks for viewing us as valuable. We're gonna do business with you right now in Jesus' name.